0: Welcome into Nurturing Financial Freedom. I am John Jagay, joined again by Alex Cabot and Ed Lambert from Birch Run Financial. And we are recording this on the afternoon of March 17th. And information changes by the second, it seems. But it is important to get information out there and to talk to people and give them the answers to the questions they want to know. And that's why we're here today. Related to finances, today we're talking about market volatility and how to prepare. So first of all, I'll ask you guys, how are you doing? Are you are you doing okay down there in Pennsylvania?
1: Uh, we certainly are, Jag. Just like everybody else in the country, you know, we're uh, we're dealing with this stock market volatility the last month, and we're
2: doing everything we can to keep ourselves and our our, our families safe. And, and most importantly, Jag, so far, all of our loved ones here and pretty much all of our clients that we know of have uh, been relatively unaffected by the virus that's out there. And we're just keeping our fingers crossed and uh, sending our thoughts out to everybody who's affected by this because this is not an easy situation to deal with. But uh, it it is something that we um, we need to address, you know, some of the other issues surrounding it, not just the virus itself.
0: That leads me into our topic for today, which is market volatility and how to prepare. Obviously, the stock market's been incredibly volatile lately. We always hear financial experts say that investors should ride it out. And I want to ask you guys, do you agree with this? How should investors be viewing volatile periods, Alex?
2: You hear this every time the market gets volatile, and, and you know, the experts get on TV and say you need to ride out market volatility, and for the most part, we completely agree with that. You look at the trajectory of the market over the long term, it tends to rise over time, and it's not without its ups and downs. But a couple of points. First off, market volatility is inevitable. It doesn't always feel like it's inevitable when you go through a very complacent period, but there are always periods of elevated choppiness in the markets. Uh, You can look back as far back as the numbers go, and we will always find periods where things get very bumpy and sometimes very quickly. The rule of thumb is that generally assets that are more volatile, so the ones that move up and down a lot more, they tend to produce higher long-term average rates of return, So, you take an asset that's very volatile and compare it to one that's not volatile at all over a 15, 20, 30 year period. Typically, the volatile asset's going to do better. Now, that's, of course, the price we pay for the hope of earning more return is that volatility, is that up and down movement. And the idea of riding it out, for the most part, the strategy of riding out market volatility is the correct one. If your investments, if your portfolio was set up correctly, before the volatility started, it's likely still positioned in an appropriate way now because you wanna invest your money knowing that volatility like this, not that it could happen, but that it will happen and that it will happen repeatedly. And that's part of a long-term financial plan. So looking at it practically, you've got younger investors with many, many years before they need to tap into any investments, Generally, younger investors can be allocated more aggressively, so more of their assets in these high volatility investments, knowing that there's going to be ups and downs, and sometimes there will be big down periods, but in the long run, those assets tend to do very well over the long term. Uh Now, for older investors, people who are at or near retirement, you need to make sure that you're balanced in a way that allows you to use some of the more stable assets while you need to, so that your riskier assets, your more volatile assets, can have time to rebound, um, and it's all about finding that right balance and that right diversification. If you're a retiree and half your money's in stocks that have been gyrating wildly, but half of it is in relatively stable fixed assets and cash, you've probably got, you know, a minimum of ten to twelve years of potential distributions that you could pull from without ever having to sell stocks when they're beaten up. So finding the right balance in advance of the volatility is extremely important, knowing that it's going to arise. And the last point to bring up is volatility is not an abnormal condition. Volatility is a perfectly normal part of long-term investing. Mm -hmm. We expect it, we plan for it, and we have to deal with it when it comes
0: now that's all really good information alex and i think it's important to think about where you are in life i'm 39 my wife is 41 and we did a little bit of investing this week because the markets were low so we knew we had a good time to get in because we've got 20 25 years till we retire and time for that to bounce back
2: that's very smart and again longer term investors can see dips like this as a nice buying opportunity even investors who are more broadly diversified, older investors, people who do have a slightly shorter time horizon, uh, this is a good opportunity to potentially rebalance and bring your allocation back to its original target, pick up some stocks, while they might be a little bit cheaper, and trim off profits as some of the things that have fared pretty well during this uh, this little elevated period of market volatility. That's a strategy that most sensible investors should employ but you just have to be careful that you don't overexpose yourself and don't go diving in head first to trying to call the bottom because nobody knows when that bottom actually is, is, uh, is made until long after it's made. <laughs> Very true. Well, I appreciate you calling me smart,
0: Alex, but really I've just been listening to you and Ed for the last 12 podcasts or so. So I'll give you guys all the
1: credit here. Well, thanks, Jag. We appreciate that.
0: (laughs) Ed, you guys talk about viewing your portfolio and having it comprised of separate buckets. Alex kind of alluded to this. Can you explain that
1: diversification, Ed? Absolutely. Like Alex said, every portfolio is comprised of risk assets like stocks, uh, gold, real estate that fluctuate a fair amount. And more stable investments usually think of cash and high-quality bonds. Mm -hmm. And the higher the percentage of risk assets in a portfolio, the more you would expect that portfolio to fluctuate. But like Alex said, over the longer term, you would expect that portfolio to generate a higher average rate of return as well. Yeah. Now, the higher the percentage of your portfolio in more stable assets, like treasuries and cash, the less a portfolio will fluctuate. But that comes with the trade-off of limiting potential returns. So let's take a look at a year like last year. Mm-hmm. And let's say you're viewing your portfolio as two separate buckets, a growth bucket and a stable bucket. Well, in 2019, when the S&P went up roughly 30%, a portfolio of 90% stocks and 10% bonds you know, certainly did much better than a portfolio of 50% stocks and 50% bonds. But that person who has 90% stocks has a lot of money in their growth bucket, not much in their stable bucket. You can think of people our age, Jag, right? Late 30s or early 40s. We have a little bit of money in cash for emergencies, that sort of thing. But generally, we're thinking long-term growth. So we have a big growth bucket, a small stability bucket. But let's say you have a moderate allocation. We'll, We'll look at the traditional... 60% stock, 40% bond portfolio. You know, when you have that allocation, you have a sizable amount in your growth bucket, but also a significant percentage of your portfolio in your stable bucket. And let's break this down a bit further. Let's say you have a $1 million portfolio, you have a 60-40 mix, so you have $600,000 in stocks, $400,000 in bonds and cash. Got it. So a temporary decline in stock prices affects the $600,000 in your growth bucket, right? But doesn't necessarily affect the value in your stable bucket. So that limits downside exposure. And over the past month, what we've seen is that balanced portfolios that have a fair amount in bonds and cash in that stable bucket They haven't declined as much, obviously, as a portfolio that's all growth oriented, okay?
0: When a client calls you in a panic and you can say, yes, the market's down this much, but you're only down this much.
1: Yes, absolutely. Because a properly diversified portfolio, like Alex mentioned, is designed ahead of time for periods of volatility that we know are going to happen. We just don't know when and we don't know what the catalyst is going to be that's going to start that volatility, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So let's break this down a bit further. Let's go back to this 60-40 portfolio that has a million dollars in it, Jag. Mm -hmm. And let's say now you're retired, okay? And you're drawing out roughly 4% of your portfolio each year to fund retirement. So you're taking a monthly distribution. You have a million dollar portfolio, $600,000 in risk assets like stocks, $400,000 in bonds and cash and you're taking out $40,000 per year. So 4% of the million, got it, okay. <laughs> That's exactly correct. And a question we've gotten a lot lately and have over the last couple decades, uh, when people are retired and drawing money out, they worry about, well, if I'm taking money out when it's beaten up, will I not recover? But you know, in these portfolios, like Alex mentioned in the last question, if you have $400,000 in bonds and cash, and you're drawing out $40,000 a year, You have 10 years worth of distributions in your stable bucket to fund your cash flow to allow the risk assets to recover from a temporary decline. And we may have mentioned this in a prior podcast, Jag, but we feel it's very important that you draw from that cash bucket on a monthly basis when you're retired Mm -hmm. and not proportionally across your portfolio. And the reason why is because of periods like now, you know, if you're retired and you're taking a regular distribution, you probably don't want to be selling stocks right now. Right. <laughs> Buy low, sell high, not the opposite. Got it. Absolutely. But it's certainly, uh, you know, we think it helps if investors, even if all their money's in one account, but it's a diversified allocation if they kind of break down their allocation and view it as separate buckets. So they know that when there is market volatility, there's a portion of their portfolio that can be drawn on that isn't affected by that volatility. That stable part of the bucket or the stable bucket
0: with cash and other things like that, to me, it sounds almost like kind of a rainy day fund.
1: Absolutely. And it's a very good way of looking at it. Proper allocation and and proper diversification
2: entails preparing for a rainy day. And right now it is pouring. If I could just add something to that, one thing Ed mentioned is that, you know, you don't necessarily want to draw proportionally across all the assets when you're distributing income from a diversified portfolio. Mm-hmm. That's very true when the market goes through dips like this, but when the market's going up and stocks are doing well, it is usually prudent to trim profits off of those so that your portfolio doesn't get more and more and more aggressive over time. You know, that's the normal environment that we typically see when stocks are doing quite well. You do want to be trimming profits from them when they're going up because if all you're doing is pulling from your stable bucket when stocks are rising your portfolio is getting more aggressive as you're getting older that's a dangerous thing too that's a very good point
1: alex and to add one thing to that jag you know you take a year like 2019 right let's say somebody's drawing from their stable bucket and they started with a 60 40 portfolio it's very likely that at the end of the 2019 if they hadn't rebalanced that they might have 70% or more of their portfolio in stocks. That high-risk stuff. Yeah, That's exactly right. And the portfolio, if you're not rebalancing as equities grow and keeping the proper allocation, it gets more and more aggressive and more and more exposed to downside volatility. I think that's a great example, of That because if you were in that situation
0: and you're taking from the stable bucket when things are good in 2019, and then that left you with the, for lack of a better way of putting it, the more risky unstable bucket, yeah, you were sitting pretty a few months ago. Yeah. But you had all that risk. And look what's happened over the last month. You're really hurting right now. Yep. Absolutely. All right. So, Alex, we talked about this a little bit. You know, if you have a longer time frame, like, you know, we're all roughly the same age here in this conversation. Is this a good time to be buying up stocks aggressively? Does it make sense to push all your chips to the center of the table?
2: Well, uh, I don't know if I would go so far as to say it's the right time to push all of your chips to the center of the table, but an environment like this does present interesting opportunities for longer-term investors. Mm -hmm. So generally, long-term investors can be more aggressive than short-term ones. So typically, uh, an investor, say my age, I'm turning 40 this year, I can have much more of my investments in stocks and risk assets than somebody who's, say, 60 or 65. Sure. Sure. But as is the case with any financial strategy, the key to being successful in the long run is balance. And in this case for younger investors, that balance doesn't necessarily mean you shouldn't own mostly risk assets. It's just balancing the rest of your plan. Uh, So younger investors can feel reasonably confident that over the next 20 to 30 years, there will be better growth in equities and stocks versus other more stable assets. And that's not a guarantee, but history tends to show that that's the case. Right. But that understanding, that assumption cannot come at a cost of today's needs. That I think is extremely important because we normally recommend keeping an emergency fund of anywhere between 3 months to 12 months of expenses readily available in assets that don't fluctuate like savings accounts, money market accounts, things like that. The three to 12 month thing, it's a wide range and it just depends on the stability of your job and whether you have a dual income family or a single income, your expenses relative to your income. Uh, A lot of times people have a little bit more flexibility and can get away with fewer months of reserve. But if you're a single person with a job that's not that stable in an industry that's not stable and you're not really certain about where your future income will come from having more in that emergency fund I think is prudent I think that point is so well taken
0: this week because you look at so many workers that are out of work and having to stuck at home and you know we're fortunate the three of us that we have the ability to work from home and have the flexibility or telecommute and things like that there are many people who are stuck at home and cannot work and are not making money now and unfortunately some don't have the ability to put that savings away but this speaks to If you can put that kind of savings away and have three to 12 months of living expenses saved up, this is the kind of situation that's completely caught us all off guard and blindsided us where it can really, you know, it can really save you.
2: Yeah. And the savings, that emergency fund, it should be in those readily available assets. And and those those investments, those savings vehicles typically don't pay very much in interest. The expectation isn't very high for long-term returns but there's almost no chance of fluctuation. So a period like this, it doesn't make a difference. Your money market account is relatively stable. Usually is completely stable in a time like this. Right. So the emergency fund taken care of, if you have shorter term expenses that you're saving for things like a house, a car, a wedding, something like that, that money should be readily accessible as well. You know, generally, the stock market generally doesn't take too long to bounce back from a correction or, or a short-term dislocation but if it's a more protracted downturn sometimes it can take quite a while for the market to bounce back to where it was right post financial crisis it took about 6 years from the peak in October of 2007 to when it finally hit a new high in 2013 i mean 6 years is a long time yeah you know if you especially if you're planning something like a wedding uh, it's unlikely that your future spouse and your spouse's family will want to postpone the wedding for six years while you wait for your assets to recover their value. I mean, if you're a commitment fall, it works out well, but most people
0: aren't that patient.
2: That's a good point. Uh, maybe that's a strategy people should employ if that's what their objective is. But you know. <laughs> So we talked about the emergency fund, the short-term expenses, long-term money that you know you're not going to need for you know, 10, 15 plus years generally can be used, if again, if you're a long-term investor, can be used to buy up more risk assets, stock and things like that, more aggressively. And normally, younger investors or people with a long time horizon can afford to be more aggressive in that. But to use your words, pushing all the chips into the center of the table, again, I think that might be, that might be misconstrued. So I'll clarify what I mean by this. Okay. The market gets dislocated and drops. You don't want to look at this as an opportunity to invest your emergency fund thinking that stocks are going to shoot up and you're going to make 20%. That's like taking your paycheck and buying a lottery ticket. Yeah, Well, not exactly like that, but it's in such a short period of time, it runs a significant risk. You very well could get lucky, but it is far from certain in 2008, the market had dropped 20%. People may have seen that as a great opportunity. If you took your emergency fund and withdrew it and put it into the stock market, you had another 30-something percent down to go before the rebound began. And that's something you obviously don't want to do if you're leaving that money aside for emergencies. And there's one other thing. We have never recommended this, and we've actually explicitly recommended against this. But When you see something like the market get beaten up the way it has over the last few weeks, and I know this will sound like it's an obvious statement, but people have done it, is do not pull equity from your home to invest in stocks. It's such a risky proposition to do that. And people have done it. And admittedly, for some, it has worked out. But if it doesn't work out, the outcome... Could very well be life-changing. Yeah. And not, not life-changing in a good way. So looking to invest aggressively, the best strategy is to think about this. Okay. If you have a long time before retirement, you're not going to need this money. And you're saving in a 401k or a similar company or, you know, or, or retirement plan at work, buying stocks aggressively within that company retirement plan is not out of the question. If you have money left over after maxing out your 401k, and your emergency cash is well-funded, and you don't have any short-term expenses that you're expecting over the next few years, that's when you can consider putting some of that extra cash that you have to work in more aggressive assets. A driver of long-term success is people's willingness to be aggressive with that spare money that they have, that they don't need, that they know can afford to endure that volatility. Until you have your day-to-day finances and the emergency fund set up correctly, piling everything you have into risk assets can be very dangerous. And we want to caution people against that. It may seem like a great opportunity, and it very well could be, but the potential downside could be worse than the potential upside could be good. If that makes sense syntactically, I think it does.
0: <laughs> I feel like I, uh, I mentioned my wife in every single one of these episodes, but she really has taught me a lot about finance since being with her. And we looked at where our taxes are going to come in for 2019 as we wrap those up. And we talked about, okay, well, yeah, this might be a good time to invest. And we were really good to your point, Alex, about saying, okay, well, this is the money we need to cover taxes. This is the emergency fund we need. These are the things we have to save for for now okay, now once we've taken care of those important things that we can't risk losing, then what's left to invest at that point? Mm-hmm. What can we invest at that point once we've got all of our other items on our list buttoned up because, oh my God, you're playing about the equity in your home. You know I had a friend of mine whose mom always taught her, priority number one is having a roof over your head. You can figure out everything else after that. Yeah. You do not want to risk the roof over your head. You do not want to risk having that emergency fund in case like so many people who are probably listening to us, you're out of work for these next several weeks. You don't want to get aggressive and take a chance on something if it's going to put at risk your livelihood. If you have the ability to invest and you have a little bit of money left over, it could be a great move, but you don't want to do that at the expense of the money that you need right
2: now. Yeah, thinking about the long-term is great, but don't sacrifice the short-term need for the long-term benefit it can be catastrophic to a financial plan to do that. And we always caution against being too aggressive in the short term and trying to think about the long term because it can have exactly the opposite effect on what you want. So important. Great stuff as always today, gentlemen. And I know this
0: is a time with so much going on. A lot of people are looking at their 401ks, looking at their retirement plans, they're getting nervous. They have a lot of questions about what to do and how to create a plan and how to stick to it. This is a great time to talk to a financial advisor if you have not done so previously, or let's be honest, if you have a financial advisor that you're not thrilled with and you're looking to make a move to somebody else, if either one of those situations is the case, what are the best ways to reach you guys at Birch Run?
2: More information can be found on our website, www.birchrunfinancial.com. You can always call us directly at the office. It's 484-395-2190. We're always happy to talk. And you can uh, send an email to our general box, which is info, I-N-F-O, at birchrunfinancial.com. These times are a little bit frightening, Uh, not just financially. There are a lot of things to be afraid of out there. And we want people to know that our focus on managing financial plans and investment portfolios and risk and cash flow, we can have these conversations at any time. Even when things get choppy, this is an important time to think about it. It's an important time to talk about it. Now may not be the right time to make any changes or to move any money around or even to begin working with us in an official capacity. But if you want to have a conversation, please don't hesitate to call. We're always happy to help and hopefully we can get through this sooner rather than later. But as with every downturn we've seen in the past, every crisis, panic, correction, crash, bear market, recession, everyone has been temporary. Everyone has a different cause. Everyone has a slightly different outcome. But in the end, this too shall pass. I think that is so important. And I always appreciate the fact, that, as you mentioned every time, Alex, that you guys are
0: willing to have a conversation with someone. It doesn't have to be, like you said, a client in an official capacity. But if you're panicked and you have a question for Alex and Ed, Their contact info is right here in the show notes. If you're not in a position where you can write it down, feel free to contact these guys. Always enjoy talking to you both every month. Stay safe and stay healthy. So you guys and your families as well. Thank you, Jag. Any opinions are those of Ed Lambert and Alex Cabot and are not necessarily those of RJFS or Raymond James. The information contained in this report does not purport to be a complete description of the securities markets or developments referred to in this material. There's no assurance any of the trends mentioned will continue or forecasts will occur. The information has been obtained from sources considered to be reliable, but Raymond James does not guarantee that the foregoing material is accurate or complete. Any information is not a complete summary or statement of all available data necessary for making an investment decision and does not constitute a recommendation. Investing involves risk, and you may incur a profit or a loss regardless of strategy selected. Every investor's situation is unique, and you should consider your investment goals, risk tolerance, and time horizon before making any investment. Diversification and asset allocation do not ensure a profit or protect against a loss. The examples throughout this material are for illustrative purposes only. Actual investor results may vary. Future performance cannot be guaranteed, and investment yields will fluctuate with market conditions. Raymond James does not provide tax or legal services. Please discuss these matters with the appropriate professional. Holding stocks for the long term does not ensure a profitable outcome. Investing in stocks always involves risk, including the possibility of losing one's entire investment. Stock dividends are not guaranteed and must be authorized by the company's board of directors. Contributions to a traditional IRA may be tax deductible depending on the taxpayer's income, tax filing status, and other factors. Withdrawal of pre-tax contributions and or earnings will be subject to ordinary income tax and if taken prior to age 59 and a half may be subject to a 10% federal tax penalty. Consult your tax advisor to assess your situation. Unless certain criteria are met, Roth IRA owners must be 59 and a half or older and have held the IRA for five years, before tax-free withdrawals are permitted. Additionally, each converted amount may be subject to its own five-year holding period. Converting a traditional IRA into a Roth IRA has tax implications. Investors should consider a tax advisor before deciding to do a conversion. RMDs are generally subject to federal income tax and may be subject to state taxes. Securities offered through Raymond James Financial Services Inc., member FINRA/SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Raymond James Financial Services Advisors Inc. Birch Run Financial is not a registered broker-dealer and is independent of Raymond James Financial Services. Birch Run Financial is located at 595 East Sweetsford Road, Suite 360, Wayne, Pennsylvania. 19087 and can be reached at 484-395-2190